This is Project 1521. I'm Adolfo Guzman Lopez. Today is August 2nd, 2021. Coming up on the show, Project 1521 writers Yago Kira and Armine Ignadosian talk about how teaching, mentoring, and their ancestors' lives intersected in the community built around Project 1521. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe so they can listen to upcoming shows. Look for our GoFundMe link in the podcast description. And now, an update about the GoFundMe campaign from Project 1521 member Darren J. DeLeon. Hey there, I'm Darren J. DeLeon, member of Project 1521, and I'm here to report about our GoFundMe campaign. We are almost at 30% of our fundraising goal with four more weeks left. You can find the GoFundMe link in the podcast description. We want to thank the following individuals for their generous support and donations. We first want to thank our peaceful and dignified friend in Phoenix, the Valle del Sol, Sister Shada, for her kind donation. We also want to thank John in solidarity with our Lucha. Thank you for your gift. Our family of donors is getting larger, but there is still plenty of room for everyone. For your $25 donation, we will ship you a copy of our first poetry collection, You Will Not Be Forgotten. We'll ship it to you anywhere in the continental United States. You'll also receive a thank you acknowledgement in the publication. You Will Not Be Forgotten is the first in a series of publications that addresses the 500 years of resistance since the arrival of Cortez and the fall of the Aztec Empire. With that said, we hope that you can become part of our family of donors. Donate now, and when the book arrives, you can proudly display it and say, yeah, I helped fund that. Once again, help us reach our goal by donating. You can find the GoFundMe link in the podcast description. Donate today. Become family. Thank you. Project 1521 was formed around the idea that a dozen or so writers, a painter, and a scholar, all from different backgrounds and with different interests, could come together in community and join their deep investments in cultural heritage and social justice. The goal? To write those intersecting stories, not only for the sake of storytelling, but for something deeper, healing. Armine Ignatosian and Yago Kira sat down and found their intersection to be mangoes and olives. You know, all that all that wasted fruit. I, I heard something. I went to Miami recently because that's where I grew up. Wow. And in my in Miami, my parents have this mango tree in their backyard. And like, yo, it kicks out these beautiful purple, the most ill mangoes you could ever dream of having. And my dad takes them to the cafeteras. We give them out to people. And I heard this 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 adage, and it would go something like this: If you buy mangoes in Miami, it's because you have no friends. So there's like that idea of abundance in in certain areas, but over here, that idea is like I've seen signs: Please don't pick the fruit, don't touch the fruit. So like all that waste of fruit for me has is so evocative. It's so. That's cool. I love that you told me that story. One thing my parents couldn't believe about this country is all that, the waste of food. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. My high school has, has had olive trees all around it. Every time my mom would drop me off, she would mourn the fallen 
All of it. They're wasted. They're just wasting. So what do you think she did on the weekends? Shut up. <laughs> I love her. I love her. Yeah, she did. Wow. <laughs> she didn't tell me. I mean, she didn't make it obvious. She did it on the weekends, but she would take sheets and put them under the tree and shake them and wow. take them home and pickle them. That's OG, though. That's free olives. <laughs> you kidding yeah. me? Where are you going to get that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like if if you buy mangoes in Miami, it's because you have no friends. If you have to buy olives. Because everybody has mango trees. Hello. <laughs> and that's how the world should be. We should be have fruit trees everywhere. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being idealistic. No, no, we, no. We and fruit flies everywhere. <laughs> No, I don't think, you know, I think teachers, we deal with reality as it is. They, we have this charge of being idealistic, but it's bullshit. If we were idealistic, we wouldn't work because it, the ideal, it, you know what I mean, doesn't doesn't exist in any classroom. But we, yeah. we, we make gold with what we have and we use what we have and it's not always what we need, but we, we make use. Um, I mean, I, I really just wanted to say thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for sharing those stories. Thank you for telling about how your mom embarrassed you. Let me tell you a little bit about Yago Kira. He runs Inchas Press. He's lived in LA for 10 years. He's a public librarian. That profession and being a writer means he meets interesting people, and he loves that. Yago asked Armine to introduce herself. I'm really honored to be here and in conversation with you, Yago, on this awesome podcast, which is so necessary. It needs to be out there. I'm Armine. Armine Iknadosian. I like the way Yago says it because it is the authentic way to say it. I am a writer, a poet, and a writing teacher. I teach high school English. I also teach First Surprise the Line, which is based in Long Beach. And we offer creative writing workshops online. I teach The Writer's Shadow and Meet the Masters. And every six weeks we change up the focus. So this last six weeks I've been teaching about the divine feminine in poetry and literature, the sacred feminine. So I did a lot of research on that topic for the book I wrote, which was published in 2018 by Main Street Rag Press based in North Carolina. When I was getting my MFA at Antioch, I spent a lot of time researching the lives female writers led from the 13th century on. And one of our collaborators, Sarah Harris, and I were just chatting a minute ago, and she was telling me about a book she bought in Spain, which was all female poets from the 15th century on. And most of them are, you know, cloistered women, which makes sense because if you were a nun or if you were a part of a religious order, you were allowed to read and study. And that was like one way a lot of women got out of the traditional path of marriage, uh, children, homemaker. So I researched a lot of the women who, all kinds of women. Anyway, I'm getting off topic a little, just generally about me, right? You just want no, to totally. This is, this is fantastic. In fact, you know, I was going to follow up and just talking about how like, the the religion right religion has has helped and hurt me so much in my life as a librarian i religion the church had these uh scriptoriums and this care to put books together like i feel that's my calling but it's like this horrible <laughs> institute and and so at the same time there's like this love kind of hate 
not love hate, but I, I I completely understand what you're saying. You know, like there's this divine divine feminism, divine feminine. You you really tap into that in your book, and even our book is starting with your with your poem. You know, and like we end with that like beautiful image of the like the desert uh, hand, like desert flowers as hands, and really kind of came alive for me. You're you're doing it's such a such a great like explanation, explicating like giving us an idea of what it is you do, you know, because you do do you do do so much. Like it's it's a trip to think about uh, these uh, scribes who were writers, but like kind of like commercial writers, and 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 this is this is your teaching writing too. You're overseeing how many tlaquilos probably. Yes, and thank you for all that wonderful, all that wonderful insight. It's it's such a such a blessing just to be read, right? Just to have my work read and, and thank you. Thank you for that. We met when Adolfo reached out to me, Adolfo Guzman Lopez, and asked me to be a part of this amazing collaboration, articulate about, you know, why it's so important to include an Armenian Lebanese, you know, someone who is not Latina, but has grown up in Southern California, has taught a lot of Latinx youth has seen the effects of the refugee crisis with the children I've, I've had to teach, you know, and what effects it has, the border crisis on these children when they get here, you know, desperate, some of them, some of them completely alone. I was lucky. I had my parents with me when we escaped. So it's really close to my heart, super, super close to my heart. And then I met Iago because you were one of the gente and you were amazing because you're already like a publisher. You know, I'm not a publisher. I'm just a poet. Aside from teaching your book in journalism, you know, I guess that that's the extent. You brought in the whole publishing aspect. We're all people of color. We all understand the intricacies of the publishing world and how how people of color are left out how there really is no space for them, how if you do not make your own space in this in this publishing world, then, you know, your stuff just does won't get won't get out there. And I've seen a lot of books of poetry that I'm like, man, are kind of subpar. And I've seen lots of poets of color who are still looking for a publisher, you know, for for really, really exquisite work. So so Sandy Rodriguez is the artist, the visual you know, the visual artist. Uh, the rest of us are witnesses to what she's making, writing down what we see. And then Diana Magaloni is the scholar who brought in her brilliant scholarship and research. So we also learned a lot from her. I too feel very fortunate, Armine. Like, I gotta be honest, I'll be in the room with you and Diana Magaloni, who's like the, you know, curator for, you know, at LACMA, you know what I mean? And I just, she's giving us a lecture on, pigment making that you know has been around for more than a thousand years and I gotta be honest I feel super out of my element but I think um all of us are you know confident writers we have a voice we 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 are all students of like history and many of us have been teachers and so we kind of understand you know how to get this how to get this idea out like 500 years it's not a celebration necessarily it's not uh, a funeral, a funeral service, right? It's kind of like an over celebration and an under funeral. You know, what I mean, it's like this idea that 
we don't know we don't know it's been 500 years and it's like it's hard to say like who what the score is sometimes so that's why could you talk to us a little bit about the relationship between being a mentor and teaching writing and and being in this workshop are there uh some common threads um yeah okay teaching teaching took a lot out of me so I maintained my creative writing I I maintained my writing while I was teaching because I have a writing group and we meet monthly and we've been meeting for 15 years or so wow that's Uh, that's real that's real 15 years man reading each other's work is real yeah wow so we mentor each other that way and we're all teachers so all of us so we know that teachers are givers like librarians nurses you know, all kinds of professions, we give a lot, a lot of energy goes out to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So we right. keep each other accountable to also make sure that we're writing. So we don't go nuts. <laughs> so we don't lose our minds. <laughs> and and uh, we, we've built so much trust that we don't have to worry about ego. Correct. We know that we want what's best for each other. We want that poem to be ready for publication or for our next book. And it's all business mm-hmm. and we get it on the page. Like what's on the page, right? Like strictly what's on the page. Yeah. There's no, like, and you know what, not to say that, like, it is a little right out of the white Iowa writers workshop tradition. Yes. We kind of do stick to that. And I'm challenging that a lot of people are challenging that right now. And I'm glad that there are more like, uh, I don't know, a different perspective on the workshop method. But sure. as friends and people who know each other really well, like brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about fairly or correctly or, you know, anyway, it, we just, anyway, it's great. So in terms of teaching and mentorship and all that stuff, it's a way to give back. Like where I teach the students, the big motto for the school is positive multi-generational change. Beautiful. And that means once you go to school, once you go to college and we push college hard without apology at the school Mm -hmm. do because it's low income community, because their parents, you know, have not. Sure. We want them to have options. We want them to have the same opportunities a private school kid or a kid in La Cañada or Beverly Hills would have, you know. So it's all about giving back. So when you go to college, you help your little brother or sister with their college application. Without a doubt, that FAFSA, that FAFSA is no joke. Um, Killer. So, yeah. Do you mind? Do you mind if I? Um, I wanted to ask a really like a question that, because like lately I've been noticing that I'm growing very tired of EDI initiatives or diversity initiatives in institutions like schools, libraries. I'm I'm getting very tired of the dog and pony bullshit show. Well, my co-teacher, um. He said, just because our kids are Latinx doesn't mean they have to lead the resistance right. and be the activists all the time. And right. I want to teach them how to balance a checkbook and invest their money and open a bank account. I said, That's what I'm talking about. 100%, I'm with you. Help them accrue wealth. That's right. anti-racist right there, you know? Right. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Own property, accrue you know. wealth, know how to invest, and then pass that wealth down to the next generation. It's a very United States way. Right. But, uh, but you know, I think that 
rejection is our currency. Like rejection is one of the currencies you have to traffic in as an artist, right? Dealing with that or, or learning how to mitigate those feelings because like at a certain point, right? I think a lot of my family and maybe a lot of my friends would want me to stop making zines. But the thing is like, or writing, right? Cause they're like, dude, you're just, it's just, aren't you like done with that already? And it's just, it's a thing that people don't, unless you do it and you have the habit it, it doesn't make sense to you, you know, but, but, you know, I also understand like just wanting to be like not having to deal with that, not having to deal with like explaining and leading the resistance and being like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to take that, you know, it, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. You know, I grew up like my mom had, you know, photos of Che everywhere and, and Julio Cortaza, you know, so it's like, that's, that's a, those are big shoes to fill, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, I always say, like, I always think that, like, you know, I love Che Guevara, but, yo, Che Guevara sent people to die, too. I'm saying he was the patron saint, a volunteer in Cuba. He led the charge. But that fool signed death certificates, too. And let's not forget that, you know, like, war is nasty and war is brutal and brutish. And, and you know, heroes can be uh, scumbags and, and vice versa. You know what I mean? That's that's the weird yeah. thing, too. I, th I think the pendulum swings constantly. So the, the doctor who healed lepers and, and lived humbly became, like you said, a killer to yeah. for an agenda, an ideal. Um, yeah. So it, it has been su such a pleasure to talk to Armine and really kind of understand a lot of these things, really parse them. Um, I just want to say, you know, in the upcoming book that we're putting together, we wanted to start with Armine's poem and uh, the reason is is because the the book, in a way, is is a uh, is a homage. It's it's like a, a, a furthering of the conversation um, of what happened with these immigrant children in detention, right? These 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 completely unprotected, the most unprotected people in our society, and how we fumbled the ball egregiously as a country when it when it comes to to this treatment so like these poems for us are were a way to kind of set the tone and so people understand what we're talking about like the immigrant children in in, in cages is is an extension of you know la noche mala uh, and when when tenochtitlan is sacked these are all almost it seems like related events you know what i mean and and, and very sad very sad examples of our lack for of humanity you know so like that's the way i see them and and i think that's maybe the way uh, some of the committee members saw it we, we wanted to start with something very evocative and imagistic and obviously naturally admine's work was 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 there and and really fit that bill in a way that i don't think any of the other poems could I, f I feel like I, you know, beholden to, to Armine because the rest of the book better hold up to that, to that first poem. It's, it's really, it's really beautiful. No pressure, no pressure on the no little pressure. No pressure, no pressure, Armine. Well, it was really Sandy's work that made the poem. When I saw those kids' faces that she put on the mate paper, how young they were, the baby, there was one baby. And then when I heard about the three-year-old being put, literally being put in a courtroom to defend themselves by themselves. Yeah. Who does that? I mean, it's just, it's unconscionable, but I still have a photograph of my resident alien card. 
mm-hmm. from 1978. Uh, and it's my little face, yeah. my little chubby face. <laughs> um, and then my little thumbprint on it. Right. And my first name that I insisted on writing myself. I was uh, five years old, six years old. Yeah. And I guess I raised my hand and I told the judge, I said, can I please write my own name? I can spell it. Wow. And I misspelled it. <laughs> I messed up the R or the M. I always had a hard time with R, M, and N because they all look similar, you know? Really? But like that. The snake and a hump. Yeah. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> yeah. That pride of I can write. Yeah. At that age. And then, but also have to stand in front of a judge at that age and take an oath. You know what I mean? Sure. It's just weird. I don't, I don't, because I, I, you know, I don't know what that's like. Let let me ask you this. Do you think that is why you're such a badass poetess? You know what I mean? Like, just like, you just, Um, you think that has something to do with just the divine feminine, this idea you have the feminine is divine and these are images that help prove it and and show you how do you do you think something well you know? the image the the poem you mentioned is a just yeah it's a description of an actual plant that right Sandy painted right right that was used so her work directly spoke to me and i you know and it reminded me of my mother and grandmother who would make their own little medicines for me sure that would work whether it was mint tea with some honey in it or right. ginger you know they had their own ways of healing you know so that really spoke to me as well and i just thought this is why we're doing this this whole project 1521 the codex mondragon the Tlaquilos, the lost language the lost culture the lost books the the lost recipes and medicines all disappeared Thank you for following Project 1521. Iago and Armine's poetry will appear in our forthcoming book. We're putting the finishing touches on it, but we don't quite yet have the money to print the first run. You know what I'm going to say. Please go to the GoFundMe link and be the one to help us reach our goal. And remember to tell two friends to subscribe to the podcast. New episodes on Mondays.